Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's time for Come and Talk It with your host, Michael Cargill, brought to you by Texas Law Shield. Over the last decade, Michael has championed and supported the rights of law-abiding Texans to own and use firearms. He is the owner of Central Texas Gunworks, a veteran of the United States Army, and has achieved national exposure in such prestigious media outlets such as Forbes Magazine, Fox Business News, CNN Money, AOL, BBC World News, Huffington Post, and the New York Times. Cargill vigorously defends lawful gun ownership in this country without regard to party politics. And now, here's Michael Cargill. Good day, Austin, Texas, the live music capital of the world. Let's praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. Man, I tell you, Happy New Year, Austin, Texas. Oh, man. This has been a great 2018. We've had an exciting year. Uh, We're broadcasting live on four different stations. Um, We're like just all around the central Texas area. Uh, We're coming to you live an hour earlier. Normally we are four to five, but today we're starting at three because I have a lot of information uh, for you. I want to talk about um, the Texas license to carry handgun laws. I kind of want to give you a refresher on the handgun laws. A lot. We get a lot of phone calls uh, throughout the day, the week, and people have some really strange questions. Questions like, can I shoot someone in the back? Uh, questions like, you know, can I open carry my handgun in my vehicle uh, without a license? Uh, can I just have the handgun, you know, in the center console or like on the door of the vehicle, you know, in the open? Or can I just, you know, maybe just screw something, make something myself and just screw it in a little doohickey there and have my handgun exposed? So I want to talk about those little weird things because we get all those questions throughout the throughout the week. You know, how do I go about getting my license? You know, do I need to do this? Do I need to do that? And then when it comes to use of force and deadly force, do I have to drag the body into the house? You know, we're going to talk about all that stuff. I'm going to have Edwin Walker. He's a principal attorney with Texas and U.S. Law Shield. Edwin's going to be on the phone with us a little later. But we're going to talk about that and all the little quirks and everything. You know, I've been teaching likes to carry handgun courses for the state of Texas uh, for quite a while. It's been, man, I, I want to say like 15, I, I think I start counting, 15, 20 years. It's been quite a while. been teaching classes. And, you know, it, we get so many people through our classes. We do them three or four times a week. Uh, I This week alone, I did a handgun license course uh, at like on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday, on Saturday, and today. And we had like 20 people in almost every single class. So a minimum of 20. So you're talking 100 people this week. So we, we do them quite a while, uh, quite frequently, as a matter of fact. So I definitely want to you know get into this, all the different quirks and all that stuff about the Texas likes to carry handgun. I want to talk about all the ins and the outs, you know, because we get people that come in, for instance, in the gun store and say, hey, well, if I have a handgun license, if I have the license, 
that automatically means that I can buy a gun in a gun store. Well, not necessarily true. Maybe we're going to find out from Edwin Walker, the principal attorney of Texas, a U.S. law shield, because there's the license carry handgun requirements. And then also there's the federal requirements from purchasing a firearm. So we're going to talk about that, you know, you know, and, and we're going to try to squeeze all this in in two hours. Yeah, <laughs> That's a lot of information. We're going to try to give you a refresher. We're going to try to give you all the ins and out, all the twerks and all that stuff, you know, in a two hour time frame. And so but the first hour, I'm not going to let you call in. I'm going to wait and let you call in, uh, have you call in on the second hour. So right now we're not going to take any calls or anything like that. We're going to hold all that stuff over to the second hour, you know. But, you know, this week we lost someone very special. Uh, in this community, we lost someone very special for the state of Texas. We lost someone very special in the United States. He was the oldest living person. Not only was he the only old, oldest living person, he was the oldest World War II veteran as well. And so Zach is going to tell us a little bit about um, Mr. Overton. Our oldest living person, oldest living veteran that we lost this week in the United States, Texas, and Austin. Yeah, rest in peace, Richard Overton. So there is going to be a funeral for Richard, who died on Thursday in Austin at the ripe old age of 112, which uh, he credits... Uh, whiskey and cigars to his longevity. <clears throat> I say it may be genetics, but, uh, you know, he's pretty, he was convinced. So the funeral is going to be on January 12th, and it's going to be open to the public, too. He's going to be buried at Texas State Cemetery on Navasota Street in East Austin. That's about a half mile from the home that he lived in for 72 years. His plot is located on the east end of the cemetery on Monument Hill, and that's going to be next to his cousin, Volma Overton Sr., who was president of the Austin chapter of the NAACP. And the Cook Walden Funeral Home is handling the service. However, details regarding the burial have not been made final. Uh, Families asking that in lieu of flowers that you make donations to Honor Flight Austin, which sends military veterans to visit memorials erected in their honor. Uh, Contributions can be made at honorflightaustin.org. So Richard Overton was born on May 11, 1906 in Bastrop County. He enlisted in the U.S. Army in September 1942 at Fort Sam Houston near San Antonio. He served in the South Pacific from 42 through 45. He served in Hawaii, Okinawa, Guam, and Iwo Jima. And he was the oldest World War II veteran, and he was beloved in Austin for his warm and welcoming nature and well-known for his love of cigars. He had been hospitalized with pneumonia at St. David's Medical Center for over a week before he was admitted into the rehab facility on Christmas Eve. And then he passed away on Thursday. Now, you know, Zach, there's also, you know, there's there's more to that, you know, because his, let me see, there's like a, it's going to be a big celebration. 
You know, it's just not a memorial. It's a big celebration, right? Yeah, what I saw was it's uh, basically going to be three parts. I'm uh, trying to find it again here, but um, uh, let's see. Yeah, because there's a memorial, there's a like... The memorial, the burial, and then there's going to be a celebration afterwards. And this is a really big deal, you know, because this, this guy was the... The nicest person, loved by everyone. It didn't matter what political party you're part of. It didn't, you know, none of that stuff mattered at all. Mr. Overton, you know, the oldest living person, the oldest World War II veteran was just, man, he was a rock star. He was a total rock star. He was, and you got to meet him, right? Yeah, absolutely. Man, I just, and, and he had a lot of guns too. You know, he had guns and I'm still, you know, I'm just wondering, you know, now that he's, he's, he's left us, I swear some of those guns were actually... Uh, prohibited. <laughs> I didn't have the heart to tell him that, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm just sure. So some of those, I'm pretty sure, you know, some of those we weren't supposed to have, you know. But you know, it's just, yeah, he was he was an awesome guy. He really was. Yeah, he was, and I'm uh, kind of bummed that I didn't get to go with you to meet him again. We were planning on going to visit him in January. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, cuz our plan was to actually do a show with Mr. Overton on on the show and all that stuff. And we kind of messed that up and let that, you know, slip by us on the wayside. And that's one of the things I definitely regretted for 2018 uh, because we lost, you know, Mr. Overton, our oldest living American, our oldest World War II veteran, you know, you know, in the United States. And, you know, for Austin, Texas, he was just a rock star. So definitely my heart and prayers go out to the family, uh, the friends of Mr. You know, Overton, because he was truly, truly American icon. It was. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Hello, this is Gerald Darty, and I'm the Precinct 3 County Commissioner here in Travis County, and you're listening to Come and Talk It. Talk 1370. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right. So the oldest World War II veteran has just passed away. And we will also be discussing the most popular questions regarding the Texas handgun laws with Texas and U.S. Law Shield Principal Attorney Edwin Walker. I want to answer all those questions for you today. We're going to run through like a refresher course. We're going to do this real quick. It's going to be a refresher because I want to get you ready for the Texas legislature, which goes into session the second Tuesday of the of January. And so we got to get ready for that. Got to get ready. Got to have that knowledge. So that way you're able to go to the Capitol and let your elected representative know the things that you want to get rid of, the things that you want to keep and all those things. So let's get right down to it. So Edwin Walker with Texas and U.S. Law Show. Welcome to come and talk it, sir. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And I want to thank, and I want to thank you for uh, bringing me on after such a sad story. So I really appreciate that. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Absolutely. And no, I was just being a little facetious. I was just, <laughs> uh, uh, yes, uh, no, it's, uh, I'm sure that his memorial service would be a great celebration of his life. I mean, such a long life and, and to be so well loved and accomplish so many things. I'm sure it'll be a, it'll, it'll be a, a, a very uplifting ceremony. Absolutely. And uh, just to follow up with that, the schedule for Saturday, January 12th for his memorial service and burial 
Uh, it's going to be 11 a.m., the memorial service at Shoreline Church, which is on Burnett Road. And then at 2 p.m., uh, the committal service is at the Texas State Cemetery on Navasota Street. All right, so Edwin, let's get right into it. I want to go to 4602, 4602, okay. unlawful carrying weapons. Now, 4602 is a section that talks about where you can have a handgun in Texas and you don't need a license for it. So where you can have your handgun in Texas, you don't need a license. Now, Edwin, it says a person commits an offense if the person intentionally, knowingly, recklessly carries on about his or her person a handgun or club. You know, if the person is not on the person's own premises, or the premises under the person's control. So, you know, kind of what does that mean? Yeah, well, it's a statute that, that tells you where you can carry a handgun or club basically by omission. Because I, I need for people to keep in mind, um, you know, and as lawyers, this is the way we always think about laws, is that, is that everybody has to remember that here in the United States, because we have freedom, the law doesn't really permit you to do anything. You know, you don't need express permission to do something. What you do is you can do anything you want. Uh, you do anything you want unless it's explicitly prohibited. And so, uh, you know, what 4602 is, is to be read as is that, you know, you can't carry a handgun or a club, um, but then it lays out the areas, you know, it says these areas are not included in prohibition. And those areas, of course, are any property that you own or are in control of. So you don't have to own it. You just have to be in control of it. And that control can be temporary. It can be permanent. It can be by contract. It can be by lease. Um, okay, so for instance, just by, okay, so for Edwin, what about if I'm at work, you know, I'm at work, do I have to have my license in order to have my handgun at work? Well, if you, no, if you're in control of those premises, obviously, if you own the premises, then they're yours. If you work at a premise where you're explicitly given permission by the owner to be able to carry, to, to have control, you know, quote unquote control, in which control is fairly liberally construed. It basically means that you know, what, we, what we always advise our, our clients and members is that control means, do you have the power to exclude somebody from it? Um, and I'm sure that, you know, all of your employees do, you know, if somebody came in, started acting crazy, but you weren't there, you know, you're off, you know, it's at the range or what have you, you know, they have the authority to tell the person to leave, call the police, et cetera, et cetera. So they have control of those premises at that time. And that's why I'm saying it could be permanent, could be temporary, could be pursuant to, you know, a, a specific rule of regulation of employment. Um, but you know, you don't have to own it. You just have to be in control of it. All right. Now, let me ask you this. Now, it says B says inside of directly route to a motor vehicle or watercraft that is owned by the person on the person's control. So does that mean that do I have to conceal the handgun from my home to my vehicle? Can I have it in the open? If I live in the Austonian downtown Austin and I park at uh, on 6th Street, can I openly carry that handgun and go straight from my apartment, my condo at the Austonian all the way, you know, like four or five blocks over the sixth street, openly carrying that handgun without a license? You know, that's, you know, whenever you read that, whenever you read that, um, you know, whenever you read that provision in conjunction with the next provision, A-1, uh, technically you don't. You can have it openly carried while you are in route, the requirement that your handgun be concealed if you don't have a license uh, really only kicks in whenever you're actually in the motor vehicle or watercraft. Hmm. 
So now, I've never seen that tested, mm. uh, and actually that sort of dovetails into something that I would like to add to the first part of our discussion okay. uh, with regard to property under your control. Uh, several years ago, there was a case where uh, the police were called to a condominium complex. They walked into the condominium complex. They saw a guy walking around with an openly carried handgun, and they were like, hey, you can't do that. And he goes, yes, I can. This is a condo, and I'm one of the condo owners. And they're like, yeah, but you're not in your specific condo, so you're under arrest for unlawful carry. Mm. And uh, he went to trial. This was in Dallas. He went to trial. He got convicted. Court of Appeals said, hey, wait a minute. This, they, they, gave the, they gave an extremely broad reading of 4602, and they said, no, um, he was on property that he owned because as part of his condominium uh, deed, he had an undivided interest in the common areas of the condominium. And so they said, hey, the common areas are property that he owns, therefore he didn't violate the law. Uh, the Dallas County DA said, oh, my God, that can't be true. That's not what Texas law means. And uh, they took it all the way to the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals. And in a victory for the defendant, which is very rare in the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals, Texas Court of Criminal Appeals agreed with the court of appeals and said, no, he, he, as a condominium owner, he has an undivided ownership interest in the common areas. He was on property that he owned. Therefore, he could not have violated 4602. So if you live in a condo and your condo provides that you have an undivided ownership interest in the common areas, uh, then you can openly carry without a, without a license in the common areas of that condominium complex. Okay, so what if I'm 17 years old? Can I openly carry my, or can I carry my handgun, I'm sorry, carry my handgun concealed inside my vehicle at, say, like 17? Yes, yes. At 17, you can, um, because there's no age restriction in 4602. The only time we ever see an age restriction with regard to the <clears throat> with regard to the weapons laws is found in 46.13. And, you know, what's interesting about that is 46.13 uh, only applies to a child. A child is specifically defined for that particular section mm. as being somebody younger than 17. And even if the person were younger than 17, it doesn't criminalize the child's possession. It criminalizes the behavior of the person who recklessly allowed the child to take possession. Hmm. Okay. Now, also, you know, an A1 there, it says, you know, as long as the handgun is in plain view, unless the person is licensed to carry a handgun on the subchapter H, chapter 411 government code. So, yes, that's correct. And so that means that, you know, that, that, that obviously is a product of the open carry legislation that occurred a couple of years ago. Okay. And uh, basically, whenever somebody is carrying in their car, uh, and they meet the qualifications that are, or well, they're not disqualified under 4602A1, uh, then they're carrying under the authority allowed by 4602. They're not carrying under the authority of their license. Okay. However, if they want to allow their handgun to be visible inside of their car, uh, they do have to have a license, and they do have to uh, carry the handgun in a belt or shoulder holster. Okay. All right, so... That means that everyone pretty much, you know, can have a handgun um, if you're, say, 17 and up. I, th I think we can at that age, because I don't know if we want to say 16, do we? No, I mean, we don't want to get our parents in trouble, do we? Right. So everyone, you know, 17 and up can actually have a handgun in the vehicle without a license as long as that handgun's concealed in the vehicle. As long as you're not a prohibited person, 
Um, and there's some restrictions in that if you're what, Edwin? Well, if you're, first of all, you have to be lawful to possess a firearm. So if you're disqualified from possessing a firearm, let's say that you're a felon or you've been convicted of domestic violence, uh, misdemeanor crime of domestic violence, or you are currently under a protective order, uh, you know, uh, or if you're, if you're an illegal alien, um, you know, you're a prohibited person under federal law. So you have to be lawful to possess the firearm in the first place. And then you can't be committing any other crime other than a Class C misdemeanor regulating traffic. Mm. And so this is what, you know, this is this one is very tricky because there are some Class C misdemeanors out there that don't regulate traffic. Uh, you know, for instance, littering. Let's say that, you know, a police officer wants to say, aha, you're disqualified from carrying because I saw you litter. That's Class C misdemeanor. And you go, but I can commit Class C misdemeanors. He goes, nah, only the ones regulating traffic not other Class C misdemeanors. So you can't be committing a crime other than a traffic offense, and that's what it's designed for. It's designed for, you know, to let you know that you're not going to get in trouble, you're not going to charged with unlawful carry if you get stopped for speeding or running a red light or changing lanes or having expired uh, registration or having a tail light out or something like that, some All sort right. of uh, regulation that's found in the transportation code. All right, so, Ed, when we come back from the break, I'm, we're going to let you finish that because we're going to talk about those. There are some reasons why you wouldn't be able to have that handgun. We're going to talk about that. We're talking about well, for a refresher, a refresher on the handgun laws. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talking. Talk 1370. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. Yeah, that's right. This week we lost our oldest World War II veteran and the oldest person in the United States, uh, Mr. Overton. Uh, he was 112 years old. And so he passed away this week. And his celebration is going to be when, Zach? It's going to be Saturday, uh, January 12th. Right, so we get to say goodbye to Mr. Overton on Saturday, January the 12th. That's, oh man, he was a wonderful guy. Uh, but this week, you know what we're talking about? We got a special. This is a two-hour special. We started a little, a little earlier. We started an hour earlier. Caught some people off guard there. That's right. The early bird gets the worm. You know, but we're talking about the Texas handgun license laws. We're giving you a little refresher on the laws, trying to get you ready for the session. Uh, because the, you know, the state of Texas, we go in session every odd year. So we're getting ready for that now. We're trying to educate you on what some of the laws are. And Edwin was talking to us about 4602, every way that you can have a handgun in Texas without a license. And so, Edwin, you know, what about some of those people that can't have that handgun, you know, in the vehicle? So, like, well, you wouldn't be able to have a handgun in the vehicle if it's not concealed. Oh, you're committing a crime, I should say. You're actually committing a crime if, if it's concealed. If it's not concealed, sorry. If it's not concealed. Uh, correct. And, um, um, like I said, we can't have prohibited persons. So, if you're a felon, then you're going to be charged with, you know, possession by a felon, um, in a or if you're convicted of a misdemeanor crime of domestic violence, you're going to be charged with, you know, by being a, a person who's been convicted of a misdemeanor crime being in possession. Um, and one of the more interesting things that has happened recently is that the police have discovered, and then, of course, this prohibition has been around since 2007, 
But it appears that the police have recently discovered and have been willing to exploit the uh, one of the prohibitions that says that a member of a criminal street gang cannot have a handgun in their automobile. Uh, I can't have a handgun. It says they can't have a handgun with their light without the license in their vehicle. However, what we have seen is that uh, whenever it comes to people who are allegedly members of criminal street gangs. Uh, the police do not seem to care whether or not the person has a license or not, and they are completely misinterpreting this provision. And we are aware of several people who have been, you know, quote, members of criminal street gangs, but are not prohibited persons. And so they have their license to carry. Mm. Uh, they just happen to belong to an association that the police at one time put on this list that's maintained by the DPS. And it's uh, it's another one of those secret lists, a lot like the TSA no-fly list. Mm. Um, these organizations get on the list. Uh, nobody really knows how they get on. It's just an allegation made by a police department somewhere. And, you know, who knows how you get off. Wow. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we, we've seen that. You know, we, there's been actually been convictions of people who did not have licenses. Uh, and we've seen arrest of people who do have licenses. Of course, having a license makes you completely exempt from 4602 at all, so they should not have been arrested, but they were, and uh, we have yet to see anybody convicted, but we have seen some arrests and some prosecutions, and we're waiting to see how this is going to uh, wash out, because, of course, they are... um, 4602 doesn't apply to those individuals. Okay. So basically you can't – you cannot have a handgun in the vehicle um, or you're – I should say you're committing a crime with that handgun in the vehicle if it's not concealed. Uh, you're commit, if you're committing a crime, <laughs> for starters, like you get a DWI, uh, then yes. that's unlawfully carrying. And then also if you're a member of a street gang, then that's unlawfully carrying. So let me ask you this, Edwin. So what about – what if I'm traveling? If I'm traveling and I'm going to I'm going to West Texas. I live in Austin. I go to West Texas. I don't have a handgun license. Can I openly carry my handgun in the vehicle and go from here, Austin, Texas, all the way to Midland, carrying that handgun in, know, the, in the open? You know, that's one of those great questions because it is it is something that's been debated for literally a, at least a century. So I won't say centuries, but at least a century. And that is because whenever Texas first created the law that outlawed the possession of a handgun outside of your own property, uh, the one of the very, very first exceptions that was created was an exception for traveling. And that was created way back in the 1870s, and it still exists today in, in 46.15b2, uh, which says, which just simply says that 4602 doesn't apply if you are traveling. And that's it. There's no definition of traveling. There's no perimeters of traveling. Uh, but I will say this. It is what, what makes it even more interesting. And, and as you know, I, I really love history and I'm a fan of legislative history. Is that all of those qualifications that we just read, you know, the fact you have to be lawful to possess a, a firearm, you can't be committing a crime, you can't have it, con- you have to have it concealed, you can't be a member of a criminal street gang. That language was actually created when the legislature did attempt uh, and did for two years make a definition of traveling that was put in 4615. And so they said traveling is, and then they wrote all those qualifications. Well, it turns out 
that a lot of district attorneys who were very, very much against the idea of unlicensed individuals having guns in their, having handguns in their car. I mean, they were <laughs> these were some big time DAs. There right. was there was uh, you know the, the Harris County DA at that time. The elected DA came out against it. He held a press conference in which he had about a dozen other DAs with him, elected DAs, and they said, "Hey, this is an exception. It's a defense. We are still telling our police officers to arrest." Anybody they find with a handgun in their car and they don't have a license, and then it's going to be their job to come to court to prove that they fall under this traveling exception. Wow. And in a very interesting uh, twist, of, in a very interesting plot twist to all this, uh, the the this upset two very uh, distinct and different groups, <laughs> both the Texas State Rifle Association and the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Association, who got together, and you know they say politics makes strange bedfellows, <laughs> but the TSA, the TSRA, and the ACLU both jointly authored a paper that was submit to submitted to the legislature about how this was a this was that this DA action was exp- was violation of the spirit of the law, the letter of the law, and that the way you fix it is that you move, you, you don't create a definition of traveling, but you move that traveling description to the actual application portion of 4602, which means that before a DA would be allowed to press charges against somebody for mm-hmm. unlawful carrying, they have to have evidence that shows that there was that they were disqualified under those four qualifications in forty six oh two. So, okay, long answer, <laughs> yeah, long, <laughs> long answer. But to wrap it up, traveling still exists, and so what? Since it no longer has a statutory definition, we have to look at how it's been interpreted by case law over the centuries. Mm. Since it's such an old law, and that's where we get these ideas when people you know they, they hear these urban myths and they say, "Well, I'm traveling if I stay overnight." or I'm traveling if I cross three county lines, Mm. or I'm traveling if I go more than 50 miles from my home. And the thing about it is, is that all of those answers are potentially yes, because since traveling does not have a statutory definition, we have to look to the common law, how courts have interpreted, and courts have held that it's a very fact-specific issue. Mm. So even if you do cross two county lines, even if you do travel more than 50 miles, if you do it habitually, the courts have held that that is not traveling. Um, it has to be sort of a unique situation uh, where you, you know, where you're going from one place to another, uh, and and so you have to develop these facts to where you can say, I'm asserting the defense of traveling. It's a fact issue. It gets submitted to the jury. If the jury believes you're traveling, then. 4602 doesn't apply to you. None of those disqualifications apply to you either. Mm. Wow. So if I'm traveling, then that means I can I can have my handgun in the vehicle and, and put it in that holster that's attached underneath the steering column. It does. And the holster, the, doesn't have to, the holster doesn't have to attach to my belt or my shoulder. That, that is correct. However, keep in mind that the one, you know, one of the main rules, one of the main things that the courts have explicitly said mm-hmm. that traveling is not, and that is doing it habitually. And so if it is, if you're going between two locations, regardless of how far, regardless of how many cranny lines you cross, if you do it habitually, oh, you know, if you do it regularly, gotcha. then you are not traveling. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. That, that's a thin line there. Yeah. yeah, so it has to be somewhere where you're going special. Um, you know, obviously, if you're going and so if I'm traveling, I'm traveling for pleasure. I'm gonna travel to grandma's house for New Year's, 
you know, and take grandma to church. So then, you know, and she grandma lives out in Midland, then I should be good. That's something I do once in a blue moon. You should be good, yes. But if you let's say that you live in Travis County, uh-huh. but you happen to work in Washington County, mm-hmm. and you commute every single day between okay. Travis and Washington, even though you're crossing through, what, four counties at that point? Right. Um, even though you're crossing through four counties, it's something you do every day, so mm. that would not be considered traveling. Wow. So it's best to get a handgun license in that situation. Oh, yeah. Getting a handgun license cures a lot of of iffy situations. Okay. All right. All right. So now let me ask you this. All right. So um, let's see. Now it says that, hey, you know, if if I can have it in a travel trailer, camper trailer, truck camper, motorhome, and a horse trailer, living quarters, you know, so I'm good in those places without, you know, without a license. So now let me ask you this. Okay. Um, what about a scooter? Can I have a handgun on a scooter without a license? Well, is the scooter got a motor on it? So we, we love our little scooters. They charge those things up. So it has like a, they charge them like in a. Yeah, the ones in Austin are electric motorized so scooters. So they're electric. Okay. Well, a motorized, since, since this old exception only applies to motor vehicles and not vehicles, then you do have to demonstrate that it would be a motor vehicle, in which a motor vehicle is defined in the transportation code as something that is self-propelled that will carry, that is designed to carry persons or cargo. Mm. And so I think that, you know, I think, yeah, I think you, I think that if, it, if it's got a motor that's self-propelled, as in you don't have to, you know, do the old Fred Flintstone and push it forward with your feet, uh, I think you, I think it definitely is, I think you got a very good argument that it is a motor vehicle. And sometimes you have to push that with your feet to get it started. Yeah, just a little uh, um, kickstart. A, a little kickstart. Yeah. Hmm. So the only one that's sort of an exception to that that we haven't seen yet, and that may, you know, this is whenever the legislature uh, gives these non-specific definitions, mm-hmm. uh, that's whenever you really have to start digging in, making analogies, drawing parallels between things that they have regulated. And I believe at one time we actually researched the issue of us whether or not a Segway was a motor vehicle. Mm. And I think there's actually a specific provision of the transportation code that specifically says that a Segway is not a motor vehicle. And so... That's sort of the that's sort of the only motorized contraption that I believe has got that's where the, the legislature has specifically said this is not a motor vehicle. All right, we come and, back. You know, Ed, when we come back, Ed, and we're going to I'm gonna let you finish that thought. We're going to talk about knives uh, because if you're 18 years old or under the age of 18, you know, can I have a, a knife? Uh, you know, a, a long knife. We're going to talk about that. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talking. This is Brittany Glaze, and I get my global gun news from Michael Cargill on Come and Talk It. Talk 
Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're talking with Edwin Walker. He's with Texas and U.S. Law Shield. We're talking about a refresher. We're giving you a refresher on the handgun laws. We're talking about all the quirks, all the cans and cannots. And, you know, well, what about this and what about that? And when a friend told me, and I thought I heard on Facebook and Twitter, I saw this. You know, we're trying to answer all of those questions for you today. Get you ready for the new year. All right, so Edwin, let me ask you this. All right, well, first, let me let you finish your thought there because you were finishing some stuff up there, and I want to make sure you finish that sentence. Okay. Um, well, I, I you think it, you got thought it? I, I had finished. Oh, I, no, I was just talking about motor. We were just talking about motor vehicles, okay. and the Segway is the only one that I think's been specifically defined as not a motor vehicle. Okay. Uh, those little scooters that they have around Austin and the Southview in San Antonio while yeah, I was up they, there, they're real um, popular in those scooters, boy. They're everywhere. They they are popular. I would think that the difficulty would be that since you are, isn't it required that you leave the scooter like in a public place? Yes. So if you don't have a license, right. what are you doing with that gun once you have to leave the scooter in a public place? Right, because there's no place to put it on the scooter. Exactly. And so yeah, I was going to say, you know, as I said, having a license cures everything, and you want to get your license from Michael Cargill. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. All right, so now, Edwin, I got a couple people asking some weird questions out there. Someone said, okay, I don't have a license. I don't have a license, so can I take my handgun on a city bus or metro rail? I don't have a license. I'm traveling. Yeah, that's true, but you're not in control of the bus. Mm. So, no, you couldn't do that. Okay, what if I'm a passenger in someone's vehicle? I'm a passenger in their vehicle, and I'm just riding with them. We're going. We're riding around Austin right now. We're going shopping. Can I have a handgun in the vehicle, and I don't have a license? Um, no, you couldn't have a handgun in that vehicle either because you're not. It's not a. It's not a motor vehicle that you own or are in control of. Oh man. Oh, yeah, you're just taking so, the fun now, out of everything, Edwin. <laughs> yes. I know. That's why it's best to get the license. That is correct. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. All right. So, and also, you can't you can't take your club on there either. Mm, no club. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. So now, let me ask you this. All right. So let's talk about knives because on September first, two thousand seventeen, the state of Texas got rid of illegal knives. There are no more illegal knives in the state of Texas. I can have a Bowie knife. I can have a switchblade. I can have, it can be double-bladed, double-sided. It doesn't matter. I can walk down Congress Avenue and have it and just openly carry a sword. That's totally legal in Texas as of September 1st, 2017. That is correct. And so the knife, you know, the knife lobby, um, and there is a knife lobby. There's a knife lobby. So many. He's a really nice guy. Um, the knife lobby has really, they really, really did an exceptional job of showing how you roll back these ridiculous laws that regulate um, certain things. You know, in this case, regulated the possession of knives. And so what they did was, you know, they, they went after, they first said, why on earth are switchblades prohibited? Because keep in mind, Switchblades were on the 4605 list of prohibited weapons. You could not possess a switchblade even in your own home. Mm. So if you had a switchblade, if you had a knife that opened either through mechanical or centrifugal force, you could not. That was an illegal weapon. You would be prosecuted for having that illegal weapon in the event that you were found in possession of a switchblade, regardless of where you were, even if you were in your own home. And so they said, this is ridiculous. And the legislature agreed. They said, this is ridiculous. It was put in there in the 1950s. It was a result of 
you know, overhyped, um, you know, overhyped stereotypes of what, you know, teenage criminal gangs, you know, basically, uh, you know, the streets were being overrun by, uh, what, the sharks and the jets from West Side Story. And so they said this is a ridiculous prohibition, should have never been put in there. And so they rolled back the switchblade provision. So then there was no more, there was no more restrictions on uh, switchblades. All right. So, Evan, let me ask. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, and then it fell under the definition of illegal knife. And so still, you know, the, the, you know, the law said that you could not carry a knife that was an illegal knife uh, that either had a double edge that was had a blade longer than five and a half inches that met one of these ridiculous descriptions of being either a dirk, stiletto, point eared or dagger. Um, so couldn't have those. Those were illegal. Well, the knife lobby finally got rid of those. Uh, definitions and said that, you know, the only type of knife that exists now is a location-restricted knife, and that that is only going to be location-restricted to those places that are off-limits, basically the same places that are off-limits for firearms under Texas Penal Code 4603 and 46035. Okay. What if I'm 17 years old? I'm 17. How does that knife law affect me going about my day? Well, if you're 17, that means that you cannot carry around a location-restricted knife. So it's restricted to you walking around with a location-restricted knife. So that means you, that you, if you're 17, you cannot have a knife where the length of the blade is over five and a half inches. Well, yes, you cannot be carrying around. Um, you cannot be carrying around that type of knife. So once you have, you know, once you reach 18, then you can carry around swords, machetes, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Uh, but until then, you know, as somebody who's under the age of 18, you're going to have to limit yourself to knives with five-inch blades. So that means that, you know, I need to be careful, you know, if I let my 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 uh, nephew or, you know, or my niece drive my vehicle and I have a, uh, my Bowie knife in the vehicle, and they drive my vehicle, and they're 17 or 16 years old. i got to be careful about that. Well, no, because they're still, you still have the places where they're allowed to have even location-restricted knives. And, you know, if, you, if somebody looks, takes a look at the statute A-4 um, in subsection 3, uh, a person who is 18 can still have a location-restricted knife on their premises or premises under their control, their motor vehicle or watercraft or directly under the supervision of their parent or legal guardian. Okay, so even if they're 17, they can still have that look that they can have that location restricted knife in the vehicle. Correct. Okay. okay. If they're in, yeah, if they're in control of the vehicle. If they're in control. Okay. So right. let me okay, let me ask you this. I'm 18 and up. And if they're you know, and if they're driving it, if they're driving it, they're in control. Okay. What if I'm going to a a handgun class? Um because that's a you know a place where the gun's going to be used in that activity. Can I have the handgun in the vehicle? And I'm a passenger in the vehicle. Well, handguns, you know, handguns you can. Um, it's another one of those exceptions under forty six point one five, and so forty six one point one five says that you can carry. You know, if you're if the weapon is uh, one of those that's used in a you know hunting or sporting activity. Okay, so as long as it's, it's an activity where the gun's going to be used then I can take that handgun and have it in the vehicle as a passenger. But if I'm not going to an activity where the gun is going to be used, that handgun is going to be used, then no, I cannot have it in the vehicle without a license as a passenger. 
Correct. And, and keep in mind that, you know, since this is all fact specific, I don't want people to get freaked out and go, oh, my God, I can't have it. If you, you know, if you're with a person who is driving and that person is lawful to have a gun in a vehicle that they own or are in control of, and y'all simply put all of the guns in the back seat or in the trunk, um, there's nothing that requires you to go, yeah, officer, that specifically is my gun, because the law says that if there is an object in the vehicle, basically, unless it is, you know, unless the facts specifically tie it to a specific individual, i.e., you have the gun on you, you have it in your pocket, you're the only person who can exercise control of it, then anybody in the vehicle can exercise control of it. And so, therefore, since the driver who's in control of the vehicle, who presumably owns the vehicle, is can be argued to be in control of the firearms, then um, then be assured that they're not going to single you out and arrest you specifically as the passenger for unlawfully carrying. Okay. All right. So, wow, man, that's that's a lot of stuff. Any, anything else you want people to know about 4602? Because I think we, we took a long time on that. That was a lot. Yeah, well, 4602 is the, is the big law. I mean, that's the, you know, whenever you talk about handgun laws, whenever you talk about uh, handgun laws in the state of Texas, you have to start with 4602. Mm. Everything derives, everything affects 4602. Mm. So, you know, even your license, the exceptions that we've talked about, it, it all starts with 4602 because that, and that was the big argument, of course. You know, I'm, I'm sure you call several years ago whenever they passed open carry, and there were some open carry advocates that said, you know, well, police can't stop me if, I'm, if I've got a license, I'm open carrying. And the thing about it is police don't know you have a license, you know, because having a license is an exception to 4602 under 4615. That's 4615 uh, B, <clears throat> B6. Uh, but the thing about it, the officer doesn't know you have a license until you actually show him you have a license. So if he sees you open carrying and he knows that open carry of a handgun is prohibited under 4602, then he's got, you know, reasonable suspicion to stop you, to, to investigate, to find out if he can develop that into probable cause that you are violating 4602. And the way that you defeat him having probable cause that you're violating 4602 is that you're showing that you have a license and are therefore accepted under 4615B6. All right, we'll talk with Edwin Walker with Texas and U.S. Law Shield. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talking. You can keep your change. It's time for Come and Talk It with your host, Michael Cargill, brought to you by Texas Law Shield. Over the last decade, Michael has championed and supported the rights of law-abiding Texans to own and use firearms. He is the owner of Central Texas Gunworks, a veteran of the United States Army, and has achieved national exposure in such prestigious media outlets such as Forbes Magazine, Fox Business News, CNN Money, AOL, BBC World News, Huffington Post, and the New York Times. Cargill vigorously defends lawful gun ownership in this country without regard to party politics. And now, here's Michael Cargill. Good day, Austin, Texas, the live music capital of the world. Let's praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. 
I tell you, we've been in this for about an hour now. This is our second hour. That's right. We're talking to you about the Texas handgun license laws. We're kind of giving you an update. We're also telling you about the oldest World War II veteran, the oldest man in the world. I'm sorry. You know, when I think of the United States, I think we're the only one that exists. So that's why I say the world. That's all that matters. Uh, Mr. Overton. He was 112 years old. That Mr. Overton was a great guy. He everyone loved him. Didn't matter what political party you were. Didn't matter if you were pro-gun, anti-gun, because he had a whole bunch of guns. Boy, we love Mr. Overton. So we're talking about uh, Mr. Overton, the oldest American, passed away this week, and we're going to celebrate his life. Uh, 112 years old. That's a long time, Zach. Man. That's a really long time. Yeah, so uh, when, when are the, the celebrations? Where's, where that stuff's going to be? Uh, it's going to be Saturday, January 12th. And, and, and uh, 11 o'clock is the uh, service, which is at Shoreline Church on Burnett Road. And the burial is going to be <clears throat> excuse me, at Texas State Cemetery at 2 p.m. on Navasota Road. All right, big shout out to Bambi out there all the way in Dallas. What's going on, Bambi in Dallas? Hey, Bambi. Hey, big shout out to Lynn. What's going on, Lynn? And Rob, how you doing, Rob? All right, so we're talking about the handgun license law. We're trying to give you an update. Uh, and get, We'll give you kind of look like a little refresher. And we just finished talking about 4602. It took us the entire hour to talk about 4602 because that's a lot of things. That is the that is the foundation you know, for our handgun laws, you know, every way that you can have a handgun without a license. And so Edwin, man, he went through all that stuff. And I tell you, I actually learned some stuff about it because I had some, you know, some doubts about yeah, a couple different little ins and outs there. And so I learned something. I always learn something from Edwin. So I really mm. want to appreciate Edwin coming on and telling us about the Texas handgun laws, license laws all the way from Texas and U.S. Law Shield. You had doubts, Michael? I had some doubts about what? some of those. Yeah, there's some things I didn't know. I learned some stuff today, let me tell you. I always learn we we talk about this stuff. Well, you know, Michael, uh, we didn't bring up clubs, and uh, since this, you know, since you're the, the preface of having this show in the first place is to, you know, to, to keep in mind the legislature's coming in session, and I'd like to remind the legislators, uh, legislators that, um, you know, the, the prohibition on clubs is even more ridiculous than the prohibition on knives because, you know, uh, firearms are specifically defined. We know exactly what a firearm is. Even before knives were deregulated, we knew exactly what a knife was, uh, even though they used arcane terms like pointyard and dagger and stiletto. Uh, but thinking about clubs, eh, it has the most vague definition out there. Basically, it's anything that you could bludgeon somebody with and kill them. So you mean to tell so me, anything, Edwin, what if I, you know what, I want to walk my dog. I don't have a license, and I want to walk my dog. You mean to tell me I can't walk my dog down the street carrying a bat? <laughs> well, you know, I see, I see a the, lot of people doing that. <laughs> I know. And maybe if you're heading to the batting cages and wherever the police stop you, you're like, no, I'm just going to the batting cages. I'm <laughs> using this for a sporting activity. Uh, you get away with that. But no, I mean, the definition is any instrument designed, made or adapted for inflicting serious bodily injury or death. And, uh, you know, my father, um, he did that exact same thing. He's got a cane, just an old-fashioned hook-shaped wooden cane. But he went and he nailed a golf ball to the end of it. And I said, why on earth did you do that? And he goes, well, I did it because, you know, I can, if the dogs attack me, I can beat the dogs off. I go, well, guess what you did? Mm. You just turned your perfectly serviceable cane into a, 
object that has been adapted mm. to inflict serious bodily injury or death, and so now you carry a legal club. Mm. Um, you know, and of course he knows he knows my number, so and I know the name of the bail bondsman. I'll be able to get him out, but uh, you know, it's just that 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 just shows how ridiculously stupid the prohibition on clubs is, and mm. it, and that is one thing the legislature absolutely should address, and they've been ignoring it for decades. Hey, Edwin, Zach History here. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Uh, so uh, along those lines, a baseball bat was not made to inflict bodily harm. Yes, but if you carry in a situation where you're not specifically going to use it for a batting event, uh, then it's arguably been adapted. Uh, and for God's sakes, don't do anything to the bat. Uh, don't so, wrap barbed you know, wire around it, right? Don't. That's right. Don't go all Negan on the bat. Um, <laughs> Antif- Antifa. And, you know, and don't even. You know, I, I wouldn't probably. I wouldn't put any tape on it at all. Mm. Uh, but you know, you want to avoid any argument that in that particular situation, because that's the thing about it is, is that. Basically, anything can be a club at any time. It depends on how you... And, of course, if you're using it, then, you know, the minute you take a swing at somebody with it, uh, then you have adapted it for you know, for inflicting serious bodily injury or death. Mm. All right. So because now, you're not swinging at the ball. All right. So, everyone, let's move over to 4603. Places, weapons are prohibited. Now, all the places where weapons are prohibited... Now, this section here says a person commits an offense if the person intentionally, knowingly, or recklessly possesses or goes with a firearm, a location-restricted knife, a club, or a prohibited weapon. Yes. And so these are, you know, and what they're talking about is we know that handguns are prohibited in these locations if you don't have a license. Okay? So if you don't have a license, that's why they, that's why this is really the only section of of uh, chapter 46 that uses the term firearm instead of handgun uh, because, you know, 4602 talks about handguns. 46035 talks about handguns being carried under the authority of a license. 4603 addresses all firearms, so this would include your rifles and your shotguns. So you cannot take a rifle, shotgun, handgun, or a location-restricted knife, that is a knife with a blade over five inches, five and a half inches, or a club onto the physical premises of a school or educational institution on the grounds where an activity sponsored by a school or educational institution are being conducted. Uh, You can't take them on a school bus or a school van or, or, you know, if there's a car driving to a school-sponsored activity. um, And you cannot carry them, uh, cannot carry these weapons onto the premises of a polling place on election day. That includes early voting as well. Uh, can't take them into the offices of a court or uh, into a government court or offices used by the court. And, of course, that specific prohibition right there is currently um, being litigated by one uh, by the uh, Texas general vis-a-vis one Michael Cargill. And so perhaps we will get a true definition or a true restriction or some sort of parameters on what is a governmental court or offices utilized by the court. Yeah, because what a lot of people don't know is uh, that case actually goes to court uh, the second week of January. So the second week of January, you know, we're not going to find out then. Uh, I think the judge would probably take some time to decide or to give an answer. But as of right now, it's scheduled for us to go to court the second week of January. uh, Our lawsuit against the Austin City Hall. 
So that case could set the stage for the entire state of Texas. Yes, and that's being pursued by the Attorney General, uh, not just in your case, but also in a case arising out of Waller County, um, which I'm intimately familiar with. And in both of those situations, both of the government agencies, the city of Austin and the county government of Waller, and hold, have and hold that, and, and hold that thought, Edwin. We're talking with Edwin Walker, Texas and U.S. Law Show. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Peace. This is Maj Pure. You're listening to Come and Talk It Radio with Michael Cargill. Talk 1370. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. That's right. We just spent the last hour talking about uh, 4602, everywhere you can have a handgun without a license. We're trying to give you an update, a refresher on the Texas handgun license laws. Uh, Edwin Walker, with the principal attorney with Texas and U- U.S. Law Shield, just spent that hour telling us about, you know, everywhere you can have a handgun without a license. You can have it at home, to and from your home, your vehicle, inside your vehicle, premises under control, your place of business, watercraft, which is a boat, a travel trailer, camp trailer, truck camper, motorhome, horse trailer, living quarters. Uh, as long as you make sure you have that handgun concealed in the vehicle, can't see it by ordinary observation, needs to be concealed. Uh, you can't be committing a crime. Uh, you and he just man, he just laid out a bunch of stuff to us, and, and it was great. And he went in great detail with it. But now we're jumping over to forty six zero three places weapons are prohibited. He was telling us about the different places weapons are prohibited. When they in this section here, Edwin, they say firearm. They don't say handgun. They actually say firearm because just the mere fact of someone walking outside their door and walking down the street in Texas, you're automatically committing a crime. If you're carrying a handgun, unless you have a handgun license or you're going from your home to your vehicle, inside your vehicle, premises and control, place of business, watercraft, boat, driver trailer, camp trailer, truck, camper, motorhome, horse or living quarters, or if it's used in that activity. But when it comes to a long gun, a rifle, a shotgun, AR-15, I can walk down Congress Avenue and openly carry a loaded AR-15. And that's legal in Texas ever since 1870. Right, Edwin? Um, yes, that's correct. <laughs> I know I talk real fast. I I, I, well, I, yes, and also I want to congratulate whoever programs your bumper music. Um, that song is one of my absolute favorite Christmas songs. Really? Oh, that's awesome! By the by, the late great Donny Hathaway. Wow. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna give uh, Zach a pat on the back for that, Zach. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, so so 4603, places weapons are prohibited. All right, so firearms, we're talking handguns and long guns, and then it adds location-restricted knives. Now, that came into place, Edwin Wright, uh, during the, because of the UT stabbing. Well, I, you know, I, I don't know if it was directly because of that, but, um, you know, I think that they... I, whatever the knife lobby was doing such a good job, I think that they said, well, you know, if we're not going to let clubs in these specific places, maybe we ought to put location-restricted knives on there also because, uh, you know, five and a half, you know, blades of less than five and a half inches are not prohibited, so you still carry those on these prohibited places. Okay. So and you can stab somebody with one of those. Uh, but I wanted to go back to courts, you know, since the courts, that's where the, the big fight is, or at least one of the big fights, with regard to these places where they're off limits, and, and you know, specifically with regard to your case, 
where they've said City Hall is a court, and the Waller County case where they've said the entirety of the Waller County courthouse, because it's so old and only has a couple of entrances to it, mm-hmm. it has to be considered to be a, it, its entirety as an off-limits place. And the Attorney General's office has, you know, they have previously released opinions in which opinions are not binding, they're just simply opinions, that court and office used by the court are specific portions of buildings, mm. and that therefore this prohibition is only specific with regard to the actual courtroom or the offices used by the court, the judge's office, the court clerk's office, the court reporter's office, the bailiff's office, those offices. And so... These other governmental agency, you know, these govern these local governments have said, "Oh no, no, no! Any building we own that has a court in it, that is, that entire building's off limits." And so, you know, uh, obviously in 2019, we're going to officially get an answer for that, at least from a trial court. And then, of course, I anticipate whoever's opinion is not adopted in the trial court will appeal that to a court of appeals and we'll have a decision or the legislature could get off their duff and short circuit the whole thing and finally give us a proper definition of what is a government court or office utilized by a court. Is the Facebook feed up? All right. All right. So, Evan, let me ask you this then, um, because in 4603, it says that, hey, you know, um, you can't have it on the premises. It says pretty much premises of everything, premises of a school, educational institution, yeah. premises of a polling place, premises of a government court. And so premises, premises the definition of a racetrack. Right. So the definition of that is actually in 46035, right? And it Correct. And it says it's and, a it's a building or a portion of the building, but what does it mean when it says a what is a portion of a building? Well, you know that that's what that's one of the things that I guess will be litigated in this court. Obviously, the commonly accepted definition of a portion of a building is simply that it is a building that contains both prohibited and non-prohibited areas, and therefore a therefore it is the the fire you know the firearms club and location restriction location restriction knife provisions only apply to those provisions that are actually in that portion. Um, polling place is probably one of your best examples. So polling place obviously uh, takes place in a fairly small area in a much larger building. You know, we don't have dedicated polling places. We have polling places that are set up in buildings, but since a since an election is an activity that doesn't happen every day, they have to go to these uh, you know, locations that are otherwise used for other things. And so I've seen polling places at, uh, you know, I've seen them in, in city halls. I've seen them in court, court courthouse annexes. I've seen them at schools. I've seen them at post offices. Uh, I've seen them in grocery stores. Uh, they're all, you know, they're all over the place. And so the pro- prohibition, though, is just for the area that the polling place is occupying. It, it is, does not include the entire premises. Now, premises may be otherwise off-limits. For example, if there's a polling place in a school, then, yeah, the entire school is obviously off-limits. If it's in a post office, then, yes, the post office is off-limits. Uh, but, you know, if it's in a place that's not otherwise restricted, then only that little portion of the building that's currently being used as a polling place would cause somebody to be a violation of 4603. Okay. All right. So now, Edwin, okay. So 4603, it covers a lot of stuff also because it gets into, just like you just said, you know, the premises, building a portion of the building, you know, of those different places there. Now, 
I got someone that yeah, just... And, and, a couple, and a couple of weeks ago, whenever we talked about new bills, of course, uh, there was one of those bills that has been filed that is hopefully going to, um, you know, Senate Bill 117 mm-hmm. is hopefully going to bring some sort of limitation and definition to that first prohibition as to, uh, you know, what is an educational institution and what is, you know, where, what kind of areas does a school sponsor activity encompass? Okay. Now, someone just asked us, and by the way, our call-in number is 512-543-2284. That's 512-543-2284, which is 512-543-COME-IN-TALK-IT, C-A-T-I. All right. So Lynn asked, uh, she hoped this isn't a dumb question. You know what, Lynn? No question is a dumb question. All right, so she says, but how can people own a gun without a license? And how can they buy a gun without a license? You know, that's um, because, you know, we're in, it, people buying guns hasn't been prohibited yet, uh, either on the state or, congre- you know, either on the national or state level. And so they just go into a gun store, and, and it's been one of those, you know, you may say, well, buying a gun is not you know, it's not one of those exceptions under 4615 in which it's not specific exception in 4615, but it is one of those things. It's one of those areas where there has been a common law, you know, court-created exception that you can have a gun if you're in the process. You know, you can possess a gun without a license if you are in the process of it being part of a commercial transaction. Hmm. Okay. You know, or if you're, ta- or if you're taking it to get repaired. You're taking it to get repaired or bringing it home from getting repaired. Now, that me, is also a, a common law exception. Okay, let me ask you this, because uh, you can you can get your license to carry handgun. There, you know, eligibility requirements for getting that handgun license, um, w- which is you know by the state of Texas. But then also the ATF, when you walk into the gun store to pass the background check, that's a little different. Are there any any sp- uh, stipulations in there where I can get a license to carry handgun, but I still can't? buy a handgun or a firearm from an FFL dealer out of the gun store? Well, <laughs> That's a good one, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> going through. And of course, we're, you know, we're dealing with two different types of laws. Uh, the, the laws regulating who can lawfully purchase a handgun from a, uh, or purchase a firearm from an FFL uh, are governed under uh, 18 U.S.C. Section 922. Okay. And so... You know, one of the restrictions is is that you can only buy a handgun from a dealer who is in the state where you reside. Okay. So I could not go to Louisiana and buy a handgun from an FFL. I can buy a rifle or shotgun from an FFL in Louisiana, but I cannot buy a handgun from a uh, from a FFL without it being sent back to a Texas FFL, who I then can actually take possession of it from. Okay. And then I'm specifically asking about now. I'll let you. I'm a let you answer this on the other side of the break there. I'm talking about, like, are you under indictment or any information in any court of a, for a felony, or have you been actually have you been convicted of uh, in a court of a felony or any other crime which the judge could have imprisoned you for more than one year? And let's say you got deferred adjudication or something like that, you know, and then, you know, you can get a handgun license, but can you buy a firearm from a gun store. So we're talking with Edwin Walker. He's a principal attorney with Texas and U.S. Law Shield. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It.
Hey, this is AWR Hawkins of Breitbart News, and you're listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. Talk 1370. All right, you chipmunks. Ready to sing your song? I'll say we are. Yeah, let's sing it now. Okay, Simon? Okay. Okay, Theodore? Okay. Okay, Alvin? Alvin? Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. That's right. We're talking about the Texas handgun license laws. We're kind of giving you an update on the, the laws, giving you like a little refresher, trying to get you ready for the uh, for session 2019. We're going to go there to the Capitol. We're going to talk about some of these bills. We're actually going to get some things killed. We're actually going to support some bills, uh, some pro-Second Amendment bills, and we need to stop some, you know, some anti-gun bills. Uh, so we're trying to give you a little refresher, trying to educate you and refresh your mind on, you know, what the laws are and get you, kind of get you ready. All right. So Ed was talking to us about 4603 places. Weapons are prohibited. Uh, but we we we, we stepped off. And we're, we're talking about something different. Yeah, well, we were talking about eligibility Thanks. and eligibility as it coincides with the ability to purchase a gun under federal law. Correct. I believe. Yes. And so, of course, you know, one of the one of the first things with regard to eligibility is uh, for getting an LTC is that you have to be eligible to purchase a handgun under federal law. Okay. So, all the prohibitions that exist to somebody purchasing a, a handgun under federal law, uh, those are all thereby incorporated into your eligibility to get an LTC. Okay. I get. So, so for example, being an illegal alien is not specifically a prohibition, uh, is not specifically a disqualifier under your eligibility requirements under 411172. However, you could not get, a, you cannot lawfully purchase a firearm under the federal law, and therefore it is a disqualification under eligibility, an eligibility requirement. Okay, all right. So Now, I know you specifically asked for about deferreds, in which deferreds, are kind of interesting. Deferreds do have kind of an interesting kind of uh, uh, situation because <clears throat> deferreds, under federal law, a deferred is treated as a, it, it is given the same value uh, under federal law that it has under the law of the specific state that gave the deferred. Mm -hmm. So here, for example, in the state of Texas, you can get deferred for a felony, for a Title V felony. You can get deferred for an aggravated assault, a felony aggravated assault. And, you know, once that deferred period is over and the indictment against you has been dismissed, then you are perfectly lawful to get a gun, to buy a gun from an FFL. You're not disqualified from purchasing a gun from an FFL uh, because you've never been convicted of a felony. You got deferred. It was dismissed. You were given, you know, a deferred, uh, the indictment was dismissed. It's gone away. However, under the eligibility laws for the LTC, a deferred for a Title V offense, which that's an assaultive type of offense, a deferred, even though you're given a deferred, even though the conviction did not go, you're not convicted, it's not on your record as a conviction, but specifically the Texas legislature has said for LTC eligibility purposes, mm -hmm. that deferred will be treated as a conviction and you are permanently ineligible for getting your LTC. Oh, wow. Okay. All right, so... So, so in so in many ways, uh, there the getting the qualification to get an LTC is more strict than the eligibility to purchase a firearm from an FFL. Oh wow! 
Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Man, I'm looking at the, the law here, and I, I swear in the law book they've done like a typo or something. They've actually added, you know, I'm looking at the, the version they have posted online, and it looks like, you know, they had put churches on the 4603. It's listed on the 4603 there on page 50 um, when it should be on the 46035 when we're talking about churches and things of that nature. I don't know if you ever noticed that. Yes. No, no, no. But I, I, I don't believe that's a typo. A I typo? think if you... Huh? Okay, go ahead. Well, I think if you look, uh-huh. that that is where the... Um, that's where the prohibition against carrying a location-restricted knife is. Okay, gotcha. Okay, okay. All right. So what they did was yeah, see that shows that, that I, and I'm, I'm letting you know that I, I haven't looked at the new version. I just I have it all memorized in my head, but I haven't looked at it, the new version. You know, actually in the book. Right, and so what they did was whenever they said, "Oh, we need to create these prohibitions for location restricted knives," they said they they basically cut and pasted the the prohibited places from forty six zero three five places that are off limits to handguns being carried under the authority of a license. Mm-hmm. And they pasted those into 4603 specifically to be knife re- location restricted knife restrictions. Okay, so basically, you so you you can't take a location restricted knife anywhere listed in 4603, which are places like so people understand this schools, educational institutions, uh, polling place, government court, offices utilized by the court, or racetrack, airport, and within a thousand feet of a uh, place where you know we're going to execute and so they also said okay then you can't carry that location restricted knife also in a church a bar club and all those places as well it's what you're saying correct that's under yes under 4603 a-1 okay and that's where we have all those listed and of course that brings up the interesting point that and and you you know obviously you've addressed this many times that for purposes of carrying a handgun pursuant to your license, uh, prohibited places under 46035, uh, churches, amusement parks, governmental meetings, and hospital nursing homes, those are only prohibited places if somebody is given effective notice under 30-06 or 30-07. However, for location-restricted knives, they are total prohibitions. There is no 30-06 or 30-07 um, exception to that. So, interestingly enough, you can carry your handgun in a church, um, you know, with a license. If they don't have a thirty out six, thirty out seven sign, could not carry a location restricted knife in a church, uh, regardless of what they've told you, whether or not they've told you don't bring that location restricted knife in here. Okay, that's right. And so you're talking about, you know, for the location restricted knife, we're adding. Uh, we're adding bars. We're adding, you know, it, pretty much anywhere that sells alcohol. Really, you know, it that could be that could be the grocery store. Um, yeah, well, that's that's another prohibition under forty six oh two. Okay, right. So, so forty six oh two, yeah, forty six oh two, subsection C says that you can't carry, you know, you can't carry your your handgun. Um, can't carry your handgun, can't carry a location-restricted knife, can't carry a club in a place that sells alcohol. And that, of course, any place that sells alcohol, uh, even if it's not what our license holders you know, know as a 51% place, any place that's licensed to sell alcohol will have to post a sign notifying folks 
that if they are not lawful to carry a handgun and they bring it into a place that sells alcohol, any place, grocery store, convenience store, um, liquor store, regardless, if they bring in their handgun without a license, they're carrying a location-restricted knife, or they're carrying a club, then that is going to be a felony. Mm. Mm. Okay. And that's what people that's what people a lot of times refer to as the blue sign. Gotcha. And then so also they add in there, you know, schools, college, professional sporting, you know, events. Um, uh, they add in there correction facilities, hospitals, and then amusement park and, and the church, just like you just said. All right. So all right. So anything else you want to throw in there, Edwin, about forty six oh three five? I know I jumped to forty six I just jumped to forty six oh three five that quick. Okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, no, you know, 46035, uh, one thing that people should remember is that it only applies if you're carrying under the authority of your license. So if you're not carrying under the authority of your license, um, then you're not committing a violation. And the big ones of those is that, of course, we always think of, whenever we talk about 46035, we think of it in the context of places where license holders can't go. But also remember, it, could, it, it regulates conduct. It also says that a license holder cannot display their gun to another person in a public place outside of their holster. That's a conduct. That's not a regu- That's not a location restriction. That's a conduct restriction. Well, let me ask this, Edwin, because uh, we, we can't carry while intoxicated. That again is a conduct restriction, not a location restriction. Okay, so when we look at this case in Midland, Texas, and I'm, I'm curious of what your thoughts on on that, uh, the the mattress in the alley case. Uh-huh. Uh, with the family standing in the in the alley in Midland, Texas. I don't know if you saw that video where they're arguing. Yeah, that was in, I think that was in Abilene. Abilene? Okay. And so, you know, what's, what's your take on that case? Because they're in the alley. with The the family shares an alley. One of the family members put an, a mattress in the alley, and they're both in the alley, and they're arguing about that. Um, and you, you see the dad, he's got a, a, a pistol in his hand, and the son's got a shotgun, and the other homeowner, you know, doesn't have a, a weapon at all. And so, you know, what's, what's your take on that situation and, and how that played out? Well, it is a defense to displaying your handgun to, another, to a third person in a public place if it is done in, as a lawful use of force or use of deadly force. And so, you know, delving down into uh, use of force, use of deadly force, what he's going to have to show is that he was not in violent before he shot the guy. Now, of course, since he used deadly force, he is going to have to show that, that at the time he used deadly force, that he was reasonable in, um, you know, that, that he had a, a, a reasonable belief that he was in imminent danger of death or serious bodily injury. Uh, but before that, in order for the DA to, for him to argue that he was not in violation of the law before that, because the DA is going to go, you were unlawfully carrying him. You were unlawfully carrying your handgun. Uh, he's going to have to demonstrate that he was not a, unlawfully carrying his handgun, either because that was property that was, that he owned or was under his control, or that he had a license, and the reason that he was displaying his license to another person in a public place was because it was a legitimate use of force situation, and he was doing it pursuant to Texas Penal Code 9.04, which does allow people to display weapons if their sole purpose in displaying the weapon is to cause apprehension in the other person that they will use deadly forces if necessary, and the display of the weapon itself is not an act of deadly force, but is in fact an act of force. All right, so 
All right, so um, when we come back from the break, I want to ask you about um, a little bit about use of force and daily force. We're not going to get into it like I really want to. We're going to have to save that for another show. But there are some questions that some people have out there, and I'm going to throw those at you. Um, but then I do. Uh-huh. I also want to come back and talk a little bit more about 46.035, unlawful carrying of a handgun by a license holder. I want to get into that a little bit more uh, real quick, but then touch on use of force and daily force really quick. All right, so we're talking with Edwin Walker. He's a principal attorney with Texas and U.S. Law Shield. Um, we have on January, what's that date that we're going to have Mr. Overton's funeral? January 12th. All right, so January the 12th is going to be Mr. Overton's funeral, and uh, they're going to have his celebration on that day. So hopefully everyone will come out and, and celebrate uh, the life of Mr. Overton, who's 112 years old. Uh, he was, man, he was America's oldest, you know, living person, oldest living World War II veteran. And so we're going to come out and celebrate his life uh, his legacy, he was a, a rock star here in Austin, Texas for us. So we're going to come out and celebrate that. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. And I get my gun news from Michael Cargill at Come and Talk It. Thirteen seventy. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. That's right. We're talking about uh, a refresher on the handgun license law. We're talking with Edwin Walker. He's the principal attorney with Texas and U.S. Law Shield. And we're talking about 46035 right now, unlawful carrying of a handgun by a license holder. Uh, and this is for when you have a handgun license and you have your handgun license, you have your handgun on you, the places that you need to watch out for. And so Edwin was telling us about, you know, some ins and outs of that. And then also, Edwin, this is a section that talks about open carry, you know, because the state of Texas, they have not given us a definition of what a holster is. They didn't think about the ladies when it came came to holsters, you know, at all and, and about open carry. So it says, hey, I can if I have a handgun license, I can openly carry my handgun or concealed carry my handgun. But if it's in the open, no. it has to be in a holster, mm-hmm. holster that fits in better shoulder holster. Go ahead, Edwin. Yeah, well, it has to be a belt or shoulder holster, and you're exactly right. And you know, you with your, you know, you're extremely, you yourself are extremely familiar with the legislative process. And of course, this is, I guess, this is a product of compromise. Um, and you know, a lot of times they mess up laws whenever they begin to compromise. And uh, prior to open carrying, you know, being passed, actually being passed, uh, they, you know, this holster requirement came up and they were like, we got to have, make sure it's carried in a holster so people aren't just walking around with the guns in their hands. And so, you know, it initially started off as a holster that has, that had retention effects. Mm. And so they, you know, there were, they said, well, it has to be a retention holster. And I believe I even saw one version of the bill that said that it had to have two points of retention. Um, so, uh, you know, and there, there's, there's a lot of guns that they don't even make holsters, uh, for that have two points of retention for, for a particular type of handgun. And so they said, well, you know, we're going to get rid of the retention requirement, but we still want it to be a holster, but do we want it to be all holsters? And then they were like, no, just belt <laughs> and shoulder holsters. And so, yes, they remained this ridiculous, ridiculous situation where, 
people are left wondering, what is a belt or shoulder ulcer? And I can't tell you. I can't even begin to, and I'm sure you went through the same thing, Mm -hmm. but I can't begin to describe to you how many questions we had to answer about whether or not a particular holster was a belt or shoulder holster. Yeah, and and, 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 uh, and there's someone that's actually selling a holster on Instagram. They're advertising this, where the gun is attached underneath the steering column of the vehicle, and 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 that's in the holster. Well, I'm sorry, it's not in the holster. It's just like your gun. So just your gun. Let's say you had a Glock, and it's magnetized, and that device is attached underneath the steering column. So it just connects to the steering column in that device. It's not in a holster or anything. And people are buying that thing and carrying it around Texas. Yeah, I commented yeah. on that Facebook post telling them basically it's illegal in Texas. Yeah, you know, the thing about it is, and that's where the legislature, again, if it, it really, and of course, you know, there's there's hundreds of those, there's hundreds of the legislature individual legislators out there, both our state reps and our state senators, and, you know, getting them on the same page, getting them the understanding thing, and I don't fault them entirely because, you know, we don't obviously expect them to be, you know, experts on every single thing. Uh, I'm sure that there are nuances on on water rights that I don't know the ins and outs of. And so if I was a legislator and somebody brought me a bill on water rights, I'm, you know, I'd do my research, I'd look at it, but I wouldn't know all the nuances. But, uh, you know, with regard to, to weapons law, since we really are dealing with the fact that uh, since it's, since crimes under 46, uh, chapter 46, they are possession crimes. They're not generally conduct crimes. These are not bad people. We're not prohibiting acts of evil against our fellow man. It's not like the laws that we see against robbery or theft or sexual assault or aggravated assault or murder or, or you know, fraudulent contact or any of those. You know, these, this is stuff where innocent people, otherwise innocent people, can be charged with misdemeanors and felonies mm-hmm. just simply because they made a mistake and didn't either know or understand the law. And that's the travesty about it. That's why one of my and- pet peeves has always been Laws that criminalize possession of objects hmm. should not exist. And you know, there should, be, there should only be laws against conduct, not against simple mere possession of things. And and, and the funny thing about it, Evan, is there there's some of our you know our DAs and our judges that don't understand it as well because it's confusing. It can be confusing because if you look at forty six oh three when they talk about schools, uh, it you know if you carry inside of uh, the premises of a school, that's a felony. Well, then on 46035, if I go to a, you know, a high school sporting event um, and I'm a license holder, I can be charged with a class A misdemeanor. So, you you know, the D.A. gets, gets to choose. Do I want to hit him with a class A misdemeanor or do I want to hit him, hit him with a felony? Yeah, and that would all turn on whether or not uh, like a stadium would be considered a building. Right. So I would say that you definitely wouldn't want to go into a gymnasium. That I think we all can agree that's a building. But is a stadium a building? I mean, buildings generally have four walls and a roof. Uh, if the school was wealthy enough to have a domed stadium, which, you know, here in Texas, I'm quite certain that a school will eventually have a domed football stadium. Right. Um, you know, uh, is, is that a building? But is an open stadium a building? Does, what about the fence around it? You know, all these questions, and simply because they do not get down into the minutia. And that's the thing with that, you know, I, I'm not against... You know, 
as a, as a practical matter, I think that those devices where you can carry your gun and, you know, I think the one you're talking about, you can actually rack the slide with the device. So mm-hmm. you can actually, you know, carry it without one in the pipe, which, you know, there's always a bunch of debate about that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you say, well, I guess I'm kind of comfortable carrying one with the, in the pipe, but you can actually rack it while it's in the device. And, you know, that's kind of fascinating and, and, and they're very practical. And I, I got nothing against them personally. But when people come up to me and they go, you're telling me that I can't even carry my gun in the car on one of these devices? And I'd be like, well, you could as long as you keep it out of plain view. Um, (laughs) That's the requirement. But otherwise, that absolutely, I don't think you can get a jury in the world to agree that that's a belt or shoulder holster. Yeah, because I I explained to one in class yesterday the fact that, you know, they wanted to, they actually screwed a, a device you know, into their dash underneath the steering column. They screwed it in, and they kept their gun there, and they really liked that. It was very convenient for them. I said, well, what you need to do is actually take that device, because it's not a holster, so what you need to do is you need to take that device and screw it into your center your your center column there uh, and, and screw it into that little thing and keep it concealed, and then that way if you need to get access to it, you can open up the... You know, the console, the center console, reach in, grab the gun, and then you have access to it that way. But if it's in the open, it's a class A misdemeanor unlawfully carrying a weapon. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's ridiculous. So, you know, you can only carry it in your car visible in plain view if you have a license. So that's the first point. Second point, if you have a license and it's in plain view, it does have to be in a belt or shoulder holster. And, of course, you know, wearing a belt holster in a car is extremely inconvenient. Uh, but... You know, that's what the law says. And really, all it had to do was say it you know, must be carried in a belt or shoulder holder unless you're in a motor vehicle or something to that. You know, it's something that could very easily be fixed. But, right. you know, unfortunately, and the thing about it is, is that, like I said, these are laws. These laws under 46, uh, Chapter 46, in, for, in many ways, they, are, they, they, they trap the unwary. They trap the person who's lawful, who wants to be a lawful person. And, you know, the thing about it is, is that uh, there are 80,000 police officers in the state of Texas. So that <laughs> those are 80,000 individuals that can af- directly affect your ability to stay out of jail and can af- eventually affect your firearms rights. And, and they get to act with discretion. Mm. You know, I, I've seen plenty of officers that are just, they're, they're nice guys. And they're like, look, I don't want to ruin somebody's life. I don't want to, I'm only after bad guys. I only want to catch people who do other people harm. So, you know, so if I see that you've got your gun in one of those contraptions, maybe I tell you to take it out. Maybe I tell you, you know, give you a warning that that's not really technically lawful. But, you know, unfortunately, um, I think those types of officers are kind of a dying breed. And instead, we got officers that are like, I enforce the laws. I enforce all the laws equally. It doesn't matter what law it is. I'm going to take you to jail if I think you're violating the law. And, um, you know, that that's really an unfortunate situation. And there's another thing that we're facing, Edwin, and that's from, like, DPS, Texas Department of Public Safety. They're training their new troopers. They're saying that, hey, if the handgun is not on the person in a holster uh, a belt holster, a shoulder holster, and they, you know, they have a handgun license. It's not on their person. It's not on them. Then they're committing a crime. They're saying that you cannot have your handgun, you know, sitting on the seat in a belt holster, a shoulder holster, and have a handgun license. And I actually disagree with that. 
Oh yeah, no, that's utterly ridiculous. Yeah. I would, I would relish the opportunity to litigate one of those cases. Yeah, because they're actually they're telling people they're and and man, we we did our LTC refresher instructor course, and they didn't even want to discuss. It. They say this is not up for debate. It's not discussion at all. You you know, he was adamant in saying that. And I'm like, no, you actually can't. If you have a license to carry a handgun. You can have your handgun in the open, sitting on the seat in a belt holster or a shoulder holster. And they were like, no. I was like, no, you're wrong. Sorry. You're dead wrong. Well, well, they did that exact same thing years ago when they first developed the, curri- the instructor curriculum for, uh, for CHLs, uh, whenever they were instructing all of the instructors to tell their students that they couldn't have a single drop of alcohol in their system, otherwise they were carrying while intoxicated. All right, Edwin. Which Man. is absolutely not true. And we're going to finish this conversation another time. Edwin, thank you very much. Happy New Year to everyone. Be safe. Drive safe. Don't drink too much. If you're going to drink, don't carry a gun. Leave it at home. As always, more guns equals less crime. Go out there and buy yourself a gun. You've been listening to Come and Talking with Michael Cargill. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.